Red Dead Remake. And PS5 Slim around the corner. Well, hello and welcome to Triangle Square, the PlayStation podcast. I'm your host, Brett Beck, and alongside me, as always, on this fine 4th of July, Freedom Rings, one Mr. Christopher Figs. Hello. Ask not what you can do for your country, or what your country (laughs) can do for you. (laughs) I fucked it up. No! It's so close. Yeah, I know. It's completely backwards. It's like everything that he stood for, I just trampled. God damn. All right. Well, you know, that's... Shot it right in the head. Thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, I have the freedom to do so on this yeah, on this day uh-huh. of freedom now. Uh, as some of you may know, who are living in the America, like Rammstein talk about in their song, um, it is 4th of July. If you are not, then you probably know about it because ugh, this is America. I'm kidding. You might know about it. Little thing, what we do. Anyway, this is a holiday episode, so we're recording way earlier than usual because Chris and I both happen to be off. So, you, you know, it? I mean, hey. Can you believe it? Off on Freedom Day. <laughs> Free from work. Free from work. But not everyone was because I went and got breakfast this morning. So uh, shout out to the McDonald's crew. We love you. <laughs> 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 Making sure that I don't have to cook breakfast on my day of freedom. Yep. It is your day of freedom, too. Um, Time and a half. You know. Yeah, yeah, you would hope. Clean the ice And if machine. not, then wow, that's really, you know. I used Capitalism, to have to work 4th maybe. of July when I worked at the hospital, mm-hmm. but I got paid time and a half for it. Actually, I got paid double time for it, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it's uh, But you know what? This what? is, Chicken of butt? course, Triangle Square, the PlayStation podcast. If you are new to the show, first and foremost, welcome. We hope you enjoy what you hear. Stick around. Uh, we're going to get into a bunch of stuff. It's not the craziest news week, but there are some weird rumors abound, uh, most of which have yet to be confirmed, but all smell as if they could be true. If you're smelling what I'm stepping in, we've got some more information on Rise of the Ronin, which seems to be coming back around despite being absent in recent things. Uh, Baldur's Gate 3 is a big, juicy meat bone for any rpg fans out there and of course the the big big rumor for some people of a red dead remake slash remaster of one of the two but before we get into all that we're going to start the show off in a time-honored way of checking in on what chris and i have been playing so that either we can give each other ideas of things that maybe haven't been on our plate or, or on our radar or we can give you something that you may not have thought of or heard of that you could be interested to play moving forward. So, Chris, as always, I'm going to start with you. And uh, unfortunately for both of us this week, I don't think there's anything new on the plate. So <laughs> let, let's just go ahead and get uh, our current obsessions out of the way, and then we can get going on the episode. <laughs> yeah, still playing Witcher 3. Um, it's very good still. No. There's one important... Everyone needs to give Chris a virtual round of applause because he mm. has finally collected all the Gwent cards. Woo! I was very excited about that thing. He can now finally beat the game. <laughs> it was a, it was a bridge, you know, dude. It was a wall. There was yeah, yeah. I, I I climbed. There was one point where I wanted to die doing that. Um, because the Witcher Three is like a, a kind of broken. <laughs> so if you use like. If you use like the guy, like they have a book in there that tells you where all the Gwent cards you need to go get are, and that just doesn't work. Uh, so, like by the end of the game, I was looking at it said I needed two in Velen and two in Novigrad, and when I got the trophy, I had collected four in Novigrad, 
Um, so that was really helpful because I spent like two hours last night running around Velen, like, where are these cards? <laughs> um, so, yeah. Chris, hold on. Give me a second before you go too much forward because that sounds okay. like this sounds like you acting like me. And when you always get on to me, did you not use a guide that showed you where all the cards were? Um, I did, but I didn't follow it throughout the game until I was actively trying to clear the quest. So mm-hmm. I went to the guide at the end. But the problem with using the guide at the end is that I was f- playing Gwent and buying every card I came across. Sure. But that doesn't mean <laughs> that... I came across everyone in that area. So like by the time I did it, I was literally just looking at the map and being like, I don't think I, I don't have a fast travel point here. So I probably haven't been there. And that's how I was getting the battles done and stuff. So yeah, I made it significantly more inefficient because I played the game like you, <laughs> my man <laughs> Join the ranks. Yeah, it was great. The ranks. I'm so but happy it, for it you. It just it, it didn't it was one of those things in my head. I was like, if I just play the game, I'll be able to get all of these because it's literally just buy them from people and uh do matches. So mm-hmm. I figured I would be able to do it. The only thing I followed a guide for was all the missable ones, which is why I wanted to clear it so bad before the game ends. Um because once the game ends, then I missed if I missed any of those cards, I was screwed. So I just wanted that out of the way. So I could go in with peace of mind. And uh, yeah, so I grinded it out last night and got that done. And it was very stressful. Th- this game has far too many missable trophies for a 150-hour RPG. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's like six of them. And you don't know you miss them until the end of the game. That's a weird thing, which I guess I, I guess the way it is, is right, it, that trophy design is often to try and make you play the game longer or give you more reason to continue playing the game. So I'm sure in their mind, the idea of a missable trophy is like, you just do another playthrough. Yeah. But as I think we all can be aware, there's so many games and so many responsibilities we already have that sometimes it's hard to immediately follow up a 150-hour playthrough with even a 40-hour playthrough because it's like I'm... I've been not playing something else. I need to move on and go ahead and play well, the next thing that I want to play. That's actually one of the interesting conundrums with all the time I've spent with Witcher 3 is that I'm fairly sure I'm not going to play Final Fantasy 16 now. And like oh, I'm, I'm okay I've with it. I've been thinking that too. Yeah. But I, I don't think I'm going to get to it because I'll finish Witcher 3 probably mid-July and then stuff comes out then. And that might be the area where I go back to it. But then in September, I've got Baldur's Gate, and I'm done with anything else until that's done. So I, just, I, don't, I don't see a time I'm going to end up playing it. I want to go back to Horizon because one of my friends was like, this is the greatest game I've ever played, blah, blah, blah. So I might go back to Horizon. I know you saw I downloaded a bunch of Grand Theft Autos. I kind of want to go back to that. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to get to, <laughs> to Paralyzed by options. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll and tell you this much. I hope that you end up playing Final Fantasy because I have a very strong suspicion from knowing games that we've talked about and things that you've enjoyed in the past that you will very much like this Final Fantasy. Yeah, I mean, I want to play it. That's the thing. It's not one that I want to skip, 
but it's not put, like this is anything new, right? Like the Game of Thrones, and and, and they even say it, right? The, the mm-hmm. developers were talking about looking at Game of Thrones and other Western media to influence this. Uh, but the the Game of Thrones, you know, political uh, aspects of you know the world and and the wars and whatnot that these people face, but also the scale and scope of the battles. Because if you haven't figured it out, I've been playing Final Fantasy sixteen. So I won't say too much in case Kiki's listening and <laughs> me saying that uh, 12 hours in, you pet a dog, and that's a spoiler. <laughs> I love you, Kiki. Anyway, um, maybe it is. I don't know at this point. Because first point for the for 16 is it is a game where as I'm playing it, my sense of time actively goes out of the window. I both feel like I've played this game for 80 hours and I also feel like I maybe have played it for 20. And I, it's very hard to say because as I'm playing it, I'm just kind of lost in it, which is a great feeling. It's been a long time since I feel like I've been actively lost in a game. I genuinely can't think of one that had as much of a pull as this one did. Uh, what it's doing with stories and characters are incredible. And dude, some of the boss fights, oh man. <laughs> I don't want to say too much, but just... Have your mind on Asura's Wrath and yeah. yeah, And I want to go back to Asura's Wrath. (laughs) Yeah. So just, yeah, man, it's incredible. It it is doing some truly incredible stuff. And I really like its game design and how for some of the boss fights in the story, which there are plenty of difficult ones that Mm. are truly difficult and hard. But then there's also the big flashy ones that are challenging to a small degree, but they're really flashy for story mm-hmm. purposes. Um, and I don't mean that derogatively at all, but um, to counterbalance those for people who want that extra challenge, even in the base version of the game before you get to new game plus and can do final fantasy mode, which is appear apparently significantly harder. Um, there are these hunts in the hunt board that you can go out and get kind of like what final fantasy 12 did. And those are mechanically challenging bosses that you find out in the, in the free roam areas uh, that are a little bit wider. So it's pretty cool. I think you'll enjoy it, and I want to see you get back around to it. But right now, I'll settle for being happy that you're enjoying The Witcher 3 after <laughs> five years of me telling you it's not a bad game yeah. <laughs> and you insisting. <laughs> so, so Listen, some of my criticisms still hold. Like, that game sucks to control. Oh, it's the, not the, a perfect game. I mean, I'm, but it's wonderful. But it's so. very good. It's a very good. It game. is. It is. I don't know. I think like we talked about last week. If I get to Final Fantasy, it has to be when I'm not being pulled in eight other directions, or else I'm going to come on this show after playing five hours and be like, I don't fucking like it, and then I'm going to get yelled at because I don't like Final Fantasy, and then I'll come back to it in three years and be like, that's really good. I just wasn't in the mood. So yeah, I think it's I'm a, just going to play what I want for the. Yeah, it's a struggle for the way, and I've I've been there a little bit this year. That feeling of like you've just kind of got to follow your gut, yeah, and, and go. Because I've I've been playing things way off of schedule in comparison to what most people would expect. I think when you're, and this may not be true, like when you're doing a podcast, there's a we've talked about this a little bit that outward pressure where you feel like people expect you to be playing things on the cusp mm-hmm. of right when they come out. And I've really let that go this year. I've just been like, I'll play Star Wars Jedi Survivor when I get to it. God, got, I'll play Final Fantasy 16 when I get to it. And I got the 16 pretty close to after it came out, but mm. I wasn't like worried about it. I was like, I will finish Star Wars. And then whenever I'm done with Star Wars, I'll start 16. Whenever that may be, I'll, I'll finally do it. 
Yeah. So. I was a little surprised you weren't playing it at launch, so even I fall into that. But it was more because you were a fan of the series, not because you're a podcaster. But I, I don't know. It's just I've noticed that every time I well, push myself. Well, I'm still myself, a fan even if I play it six days later. No, for sure. I, I just meant I Yeah, I get more. you. But I think sometimes <laughs> people have that thought process, right? And I know that you mean it in a different way. But I think sometimes there is that thing where it's like, this new game came out. Why aren't you playing it right now? And it's like, well, mm-hmm. I can still enjoy something and enjoy it in my own time. You know, yeah. it's just it, it's kind of how it works. So anyway, what were you saying? No, just that every time I forced myself to play something early, it's not worked out well for me or the content. So what's the point? You know? <laughs> yeah. No, agreed. Agreed. I mean, it, the core of it all, as we always talk about with being in this show and doing it largely for the fact that we enjoy gaming and want to talk about it, is that we shouldn't be forcing ourselves to play anything because regardless of whether it's good for the content, which does matter for as far as the show is concerned, the reality is is that as gamers, you don't want to be playing a game in its worst in in the worst possible way for you to enjoy it. Like when you're forcing yourself to do it. Yeah. Like so. like that's the thing. If I if I'm really hankering for Grand Theft Auto three and I force myself to play Final Fantasy, I wouldn't like Final Fantasy less because it's the opposite of Grand Theft Auto 3. <laughs> yeah, but well, yeah, it's not what you're trying to play. Exactly. And you go into it with a frame of reference that's completely unfair. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. Final Witcher 3 is great. I'll have the Platinum ideally by next week, but who knows? Mm, my man, I'm proud of you. Now me too, I just dude, that was like a holy grail other... for me. <laughs> yeah. I just can't think if there's any more games that you've just vehemently talked shit on that I need to turn you around on. Dark Souls 2 is the only one I can think of. I'm not playing that game. <laughs> I wonder if deep down inside there's a version of Nier Automata where you're not feeling like you have to play it for a, 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 a spoiler chat that you might enjoy it more. But who knows? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe. 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 You never know. I mean, I, I just discovered that you don't trophies. like being maybe told. I just go back. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're pretty close. Yeah. What do you? I assume you have like fishing left to do, which fishing is actually a, it's not challenging. It's just time consuming. Yeah, um, fishing left. It's like yeah, fishing and, and a, a couple miscellaneous like attack things. Yeah. Okay. Well, I got mine out of the way, so I'm gonna go ahead and throw a question in here before we get into the news and i'll go ahead and tell everyone there's no community stake this week because i don't understand why i didn't i just didn't give one at the end of last week so instead of trying to rush something out i figure it's it's a holiday chris and i are recording early we have things that we're trying to get to so instead of trying to push the episode out too long we're just gonna let it be no community stake we'll come back next week and have one but the question that we got from one of our patrons matthew green longtime listener he says what superficial aspect of a game annoyed you that really shouldn't and he says he just rolled credits on dead island 2 and the fact that mirrors don't reflect you but do reflect your torch wound me up <laughs> i i don't like the uh when you can't see your feet in shooters because it takes me out of it because at that point you're just playing a gun. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. that annoys the hell out of me. <laughs> Man, uh, it's like that in VR. And I remember the first time I played Skyrim VR on PSVR, you're just a disembodied hands. That's right. it. <laughs> yeah. And I remember like you look down and I'm like, if I looked down in real life, I should be able to see at least some legs, some feet, maybe part of my chest, depending some on what's cock. on my face. <laughs> yeah, you know, some meaty, just 
<laughs> Depends on how exciting the battle is. <laughs> oh, yeah. Boy, but one of the first things I did when I was playing Skyrim VR on PC uh, was this mod that gives you full body, and you can look down and see your armor that you're wearing. Your arms are connected to your player body, so if you look over, you can see like your upper arm. You see your feet, and I'm like, great. There we are. So I'm with you. There's a real disconnect there where it's like no one wants to feel like you're just playing a floating gun. Even if it doesn't ultimately matter, it's just a small thing where you're like, but why wouldn't you take that extra step just to... Well, it, it, the, I, think I assume it's, it's animation, right? Like You don't want to animate yeah. something that people are usually not really seeing. For sure. I think it bothers me the most when like I'm playing a character. You know? And I guess it's hard. It's a hard differentiator because like I'm thinking of like Bioshock Infinite when I couldn't see my feet, but I'm playing Booker DeWitt and I have this mm-hmm. whole story revolving around Booker. It doesn't make sense. Whereas like in Doom, actually Doom's a bad example because I'm fairly positive you can see your feet. So the whole thing that I was even going to say doesn't matter. But yeah, but for for the sake of the type of ga- game Doom is, you're saying that if you couldn't see your feet, you wouldn't, would, potentially, you wouldn't right, care as much? Because while you are playing Doom Slayer... He, the whole point of him is he's basically just a gun, you know? So I'm kind of okay with it. And again, it's just a type of thing, but it's more of an immersive shooter. Like Bioshock immerse me inside the man phrasing, but um, <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? I'd say if you are in a shooter game where you have a protagonist that's actively voiced is probably where I'm like, now yeah. I need to be able to see visual reference because it's the idea that, yeah, like you said, you're playing somebody that has that, like they're interacting with the world as a character separate from you and you're interacting like in certain games, you're just interacting with the world and that's okay. I mean, like I don't really mind it in like puzzle games, um, even though ironically portal is a good example of where you can see shell's body. Mm-hmm. Like shell doesn't talk. It is important who she is, I guess, just from the nature of, and it revolves around her too. So it almost yeah, it does. does, but you know, I, I still don't think I'd be that miffed if I couldn't, I think a game, like I'm pretty sure you can't see your anything in the Talos principle, which didn't bother me at all. Cause it's more of a game where you're experiencing what's happening around this thing as you move through this series of puzzles. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, it's different, but um, one for me, and I really mean this as it's the it's the purest example of this. But it annoys me for one reason in particular, and it already was one of those things where when I first started playing sixteen, I thought, well, this is a little weird, but it's okay, <clears throat> and I don't want to spoil too much, so I'm going to leave off why it burns me down to my core. But this is what I'll say. There is no dedicated sprint button in 16. Instead, it does like what some of the Devil May Cry games and stuff do, where as you move, if you're in an area that will allow you to sprint, once you've run for a certain number of seconds, you just kind of bust out into a faster run. Yeah, and you get that little like wind animation. Exactly. Yep. So, but you know, a game like Devil May Cry or something that happens after like three seconds of running, right? Yeah. And in Final Fantasy 16, it feels like it's like after nine to ten seconds of running and it's like and that in between where it's like why am i not moving faster and like why can't i get to control it and the reason it bothers me is because at some point in the game you get the ability via something else to move so much faster than you can't even possibly do as a sprint which so you could you could look at the sprint and go well maybe they don't want dedicated sprint because they don't want you running 
too fast in certain areas because of optimization. But I don't think that's it. Because the areas where they still limit your ability to run or start your own thing, you can get onto this other thing and then hold a button that makes you move way faster than Clive could ever move on his own. And the problem with that is I can control that, and it basically is a dedicated button. So mm-hmm. it's just like that disconnect of like, I just don't think someone thought that circle through. It's not killer for anything. It's just, it's it's where I feel like half of the game doesn't acknowledge the other half, but it's the most superficial thing that I would never even claim as a problematic part. It's just the perfect answer for this. It's a dumb aspect that you're like, I'm unfairly annoyed mm-hmm. at this little thing. Well, I don't like that because I, I hate like auto sprint. Like Destiny has it and Apex has it and a bunch of my friends use it. Uh, I hate it. I can't stand it. I don't understand why you'd want to use that. Just click the stick, dog. And like that, that's so I agree with you. I didn't know Destiny had an auto sprint. Yeah, I believe so. Interesting. Okay, I would have thought. Yeah, maybe I would have. I wouldn't have thought any shooter would have had them. I mean, you're already on the analog sticks. You would have thought. That's why I don't get why they use it. Like, it's way less. Like, sure, you don't walk all that much in Apex, but sometimes you need to walk. And if I'm auto sprinting, like that's not great. I don't get it. So huh. this is kind of the same thing. Well, you know, a, a weird permeation of this, and I can't think of a game off the top of my head, but it kind of comes to mind, is the few games where you're, it makes it to where you have to hold the button to sprint instead of toggling it with the button press, and there's no way to change it in the settings. I've, I've run into that a few times because I'm, much, I'm a big fan of toggle to where, mm-hmm. like, to run. If, definitely if it's on the stick. If it's on a button, it doesn't bother, it doesn't bother me as much to hold it. But if it's on the, the stick and you click the stick, it should be a toggle to sprint. But there's been a few games I've played where you have to hold the stick L3 in to sprint, and I'm like, this is awful. This is a terrible design. It feels awful. Why would anyone want to actively have to hold that button down while still trying to move? It's You're fighting the controller at that point to some degree. Um, good question, though. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is weird, though. Dead Island 2 reflecting an item that you can carry but not you. Cause that, yeah. That are you a vampire? <laughs> Ooh, that would be a good twist at the end, though. <clears throat> Dead Island Two is a is a zombie game where you play as a vampire. As would they be zompires? Yes, zompires. Can that work? Vambies. Is that like where like a zombie and a vampire fell in love, and then when two people really love each other, there's like a plug, and then there's like a there's socket. A, a what? <laughs> 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 and then the man inserts his plug into the socket, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that's how it works. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. If you're undead, can you give birth? Can you create life if you're undead? I, how can it, it just stay inside of you? Maybe make undead life. Well, I guess if we're talking about it being born as a zombie vampire hybrid, it has to be undead. So yeah, you're right. It can't. It, you're not creating life. You're creating unlife. Solving the world's problems here, Chris. We need to figure this one out. I like that. Hmm. <laughs> All right, moving on into the news. Uh, first piece of news is pretty simple. PlayStation have revealed July's PS Plus essential titles. So subs this month can grab two games they most likely will know something about in the way of Alan Wake Remastered and Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War, but also Endling 
Extinction is Forever, a newer indie survival adventure game that sees you walk the path of the last fox on Earth trying to protect her her cubs. So really, one of many last foxes on Earth, but, you know. (laughs) One of a few. The game looks cool. I mean, I'm, I'm interested to try it out. This is going back to that classic PS Plus thing that they used to do a lot, and then they kind of moved away from where right before a sequel for a game comes out, like a few months before, maybe one month before, they'll put the other game on PS Plus as like promotion, basically. Like, hey, play Alan Wake Remastered so that you might have a higher chance of buying Alan Wake 2 at launch so we can make more money, please. <laughs> yeah, I've, I'm going to get back to Alan Wake. That's another one. I want to get back to Alan Wake. Oh, yeah, you never finished the remaster, did you? I did not. I'm almost done. Oh, man. At this point, here's a good question for you, Chris. When you take that much time away from a game, when you come back to it, do you just beat it? Or do you feel like if it's been long enough, like you kind of just have to restart it because you're no, out I of just the beat game? It. Oh, no, I just beat it. No, I just beat it. That's rough. You, you want to hear something crazy? This Witcher playthrough, I started like 10 hours in because that was where my save was. Oh. <laughs> and after how many years? <laughs> Three, I think. On Death Three March year old too. save? Yeah. You're a crazy man. But here's the thing with me I don't know if it's an ADHD thing or if I'm just a brilliant man or whatever it is, but like. I stop. I stop. I can stop reading books in the middle of sentences and pick up back in that sentence days later and be fine. Like I don't even go back to the beginning of the page or nothing. I just continue where I was. <laughs> I mean, interesting. That's very. I I I can remember, but there's a thing where like you feel like you're engrossed in a game. And coming mm-hmm. back to one and being in it after the game sets stuff up, it feels like you might be coming in at a lull and you run the risk of having that happen. Yeah. Well, I don't know, though. The problem, the thing with Witcher 3, my advantage is that I've played the first 10 hours like 80 times. So so you're really <laughs> familiar with it. Yeah, that was my thing. I was like, I don't need to do the training section with Siri <laughs> again. You know, that kind of stuff. So, I mean, you're fair. I, I guess you didn't even have to do the initial part where you're in um, white... White Orchard. Yeah. And doing the Griffin. Yeah, I didn't have to do that. That actually might be a plus if you've done that a lot of times. Like at this point, if I came back to play The Witcher 3 for the first time since 2015, I probably would do it. Um, But if I were to play it again, like shortly after that, I'd probably be like, yeah, let's skip this. But, you know, that's how a lot of people are with Kingdom Hearts 2 and the Roxas section at the beginning. So... Uh, I don't know. And I love that section. It just depends on how it plays out in the game. Because mm-hmm. a, a good example is if I ever play Red Dead 2 again, I'm going to still fucking hate the beginning part in the snow. I'm going to be like, when can <laughs> we get out of this? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I did try to play Red Dead 2 on Series X um, because of, not Series X, uh, it was the 1X at the time because it was real 4K when the Pro version wasn't. And I had free access to it. So I tried it. And I played up to about the point where you go to the mountain, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm done. This, <laughs> I just don't care." <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that that's also a time and place thing, like you said. I think I was playing it just because I wanted to see what the game looked like with 4K HDR, because at that point they had also patched in true HDR. I don't know if you remember Red Dead Two launched with fake HDR. Mm-hmm. on all consoles and so they went back and fixed it so that's why i was more wanting to play it for the tech than wanting to play it 
for the game. And if I'm being <laughs> fair with myself, I think that's exactly what happened when I tried playing Red Dead Redemption when they did the uh, 4K update for it for playing backwards compatible on yeah. Xbox uh, One X. I was more just like, oh, this is really cool that they were able to make this game look this good despite the fact that it's a 360 game. And then I kind of played for like an hour and a half and was like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I was in it for the wrong reasons. Um, all right, before we move on to the next news piece, I want to remind everyone, if you enjoy what we're doing here uh, and you're listening on a podcast service that allows you to rate and or review the show, please consider doing so. Uh, let us know what you think about the show. Let others know if you think it's worth their time and it's a big help to us to draw more ears into the show but the next piece of news some european countries are seeing discounts on the playstation 5 leading people to believe the long-running rumors of a detachable disk drive ps5 model uh, could be on the way as they expect this is sony moving stock for the revision to potentially back this up somewhat microsoft and what we are still mostly avoiding uh, of the abk trials seem to think that a slim ps5 will hit by the end of the year so we might learn more about the rumored hardware soon. Chris, this right. seems like one of those where there's smoke, there's fire moments. <clears throat> so how likely do you think that we're going to see something like this by the end of the year? Um, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me to see it. It wouldn't surprise me to see it in August, have it released for a bundle with Spider-Man and then be on shelves for Black Friday. So I would I would say, yeah, it makes a ton of sense this year. In August? Or is Spider-Man not October? Oh, sorry. Is- yeah. So then probably in September, and then have it released with Spider-Man in October, and then it's on the shelf for Black Friday. Your Spider-Man yeah, that's bundle. what I was thinking, is having it be the new... Uh- the new model for Christmas sales to break yeah. with. But here's the flip side of that. What do you think this means? Do you think that the idea here of it being a detachable disk drive means that all PlayStation 5s moving forward will just be sold for the $400 disk driveless price and then you buy the disk drive as a $100 attachable accessory? Or do you think there will... I, think I guess what I'm really a, asking is what would be the value of doing a detachable disk drive if you're still going to stock two SKUs? You would think the benefit would be that you manufacture one system and then you manufacture a separate accessory for the people that want it, that they can buy, and that way it's a separate peripheral. You All you're doing is making, manufacturing, packaging, distributing one PlayStation 5. Um, well, there's two things. A, I think... They might not want to not have a disc in store or a a disc drive on the console. You know what I'm trying to say, a disc drive console in store because we've talked about, I think, in our Discord before that Sony doesn't want to piss off the retailers. And I think the retailers would be mighty uncomfortable selling digital-only PS5s, even if there is that disc drive there. But I think the other thing is if they do keep, let's say they do go full bore into it's detachable disk drive and a digital system. I wouldn't be surprised if the SKUs were just a two terabyte system and a one terabyte system. Extra hundred bucks. Maybe, maybe. You know what might also be an interesting solution to that is leaving it to the... Because you're right, retailers... And this would be different if Sony hadn't done this, but as soon as Sony made it to where they you can't buy any PlayStation digital product outside of... PSN cards, basically. Um, 
there's no reason for GameStop to do anything now because used to GameStop, Walmart, everybody could just sell digital versions just like Nintendo does where you go and buy the card and they get a cut of it. But PlayStation doesn't want anybody else to make any of their money. So they just go, yeah, no, you just just buy it from us. Right. <laughs> um, but I think what might happen is, do you think that they're, and I could see why they wouldn't and on the retailer side, but do you think there's any reason that Sony might basically just leave it to the retailers to bundle a disk driveless model and the disk drive together and, and make basically make their own skewed where Sony's still only making one product, but then allowing the retailers to bundle it? I mean, but why not Sony just do that? Oh, you're right. But I think at that point, it still goes down to what's Sony doing this for. And I'm starting with it being from the, the thought process that it has to be for making manufacturing simpler because no longer are you having to manufacture two different pieces of plastic uh, for the outer shell. You're not having to manufacture a model that does have a disk drive and doesn't have a disk drive. It makes manufacturing easier. But I guess the flip side argument that you might be coming from on that is that you can still do that and making manufacturing the console itself easier. But then all you do is in packaging, you insert a disk drive into a different thing. But then it feels like you're creating two sets of packaging. Well, it is that. But I think Sony would rather do that than leave it up to Best Buy to let the customer know exactly how to use their stuff. That's a good point. Yeah. So you it's you go lot. to the lowest common denominator. You don't want it to be that people buy it, expect it to work with a disc, and then go, where the hell's the disc drive on this? Yeah, or <laughs> yeah. they get it home and they can't figure out where to plug it in, and then they get pissed off and call Sony. You know what I mean? When Sony can easily just put instructions in there and have a easy way to figure this out. And you know they're going to do that anyway, but again... When you play to the lowest common denominator, you have to assume that someone's going to open that bundle box from Best Buy and throw out the instructions and get mad at Sony kind of thing. So it just it, there's more uh, control of how the consumer interacts with the product if Sony does it themselves. I agree with you. The only thing I'd say is that I'd almost doubt Sony would care about putting instructions for it in the packaging for one specific reason. The firmware update that they're probably going to drop alongside this would likely just add setting up your disk drive to the setup aspect of the system where sure. it goes to and says, are you wanting to, uh, are you adding a disk drive? And then it explains easily in that how to do it. And I, that doesn't discount your opinion at all. I just thought that's an interesting way for Sony to do it. So that's a little more foolproof because, you yeah. know, you have that classic thing of people getting things and then building it without the instructions anyway i'm pretty bad about that so not everyone's going to do that but if you make it part of the setup process you're going to be like oh yeah i want to add that and then it can just walk you through it um so yeah i see both sides you're probably right you don't want to leave it just to the retailer but then again i may be wrong sony's pure reason for doing this may just be that it's cheaper to produce that's it not even that it's easier to produce Uh, though I don't know. Production stuff is so weird. Mm -hmm. Because do you think by now in a normal console cycle that we would have seen a price drop? Or do you think Switch kind of showed that as long as your system's selling well, you don't need a price drop? (laughs) Yeah, I think in a normal console cycle, sure. Um, But I think the scarcity made it so that they'll probably never need to drop the price. You know? Yeah. Well, we'll get into that in just a second, actually. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, what I really mean by that is 
they are dropping the price right here. You know what I mean? Like the, the, the piece of news states that they are running discounts on PS5s. So I guess Dis- that they at okay, least see the all right. Discount and price drop are not the same. <laughs> That's fair. You're right. You're right. Discounts just to move something in a, in a short window when you want to see something. That's fair. Correct. That's fair. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and move on to the next piece of news. Uh, next one, Team Ninja's PS5 exclusive Rise of the Ronin may have been absent from PlayStation's recent showcase, but screenshots and info from a reputable leaker paint the game as aiming for a Q1 2024 release, meaning we might be seeing it again by year end, uh, hit something, maybe a state of play of some sort. This info comes along with talk of the game that they describe as a mix between Assassin's Creed, Ghost of Tsushima uh, for gameplay, and Dark Souls for lore building and how it plays out its story aspects. And some screenshots to accompany this information, showing the map and stuff like that. Uh, the Dark Souls inspiration is a lot of the items, the the item description plays into the lore, which is something real big for you know Bloodborne, Dark Souls, all those games. Um this sounds about right because even when they first showed the game, there's a clear air of like, well, it looks like a Ghost of Tsushima style game, mm-hmm. but with more of the architectural and time period that you'd expect from a Assassin's Creed game. Definitely some of the later ones where it's a little more, well, I guess some of the middle ones where they were kind of in that more civilized periods of certain things. Like uh, what was that Assassin's Creed where you played as the twins? I can't remember the name of it right now. Syndicate. Syndicate, yeah, it's a good example. It so it kind of reminded me of something else. like that. Evie and Jacob Fry or something like that. That sounds that sounds proper British. British, yeah. I didn't play that one, but I have a friend who really enjoyed it, and he I would liked talk about it, it often. But it doesn't work on PS Five. Oh, that's one of the backwards compatible games that got hit. Yeah, that one. Yeah, and did they they never fix it? I've never listen. I like it, but I've I've never never tried to play it. (laughs) I just know it was on that list. Yeah, I think most of the PS5 list has been solved. Really, I'm pretty sure. I'm gonna go look. There's a Push Square article uh, from January of 23, or at least it looks like it was updated for that. So at the time of writing, there are just six PS4 games that will not be backwards compatible on PS5, and those are Afro, Afro Samurai 2, Hitman Go. Yeah, it's, yeah. it says just they deal did with fix it. it. Robinson, The Journey, Shadwin, and We Sing. Yeah. I would imagine that they would, considering that the Ubisoft collection is such a big thing that they're pulling in with the PS Plus extra tier, uh, the classics collection that the, a lot of these games are showing up in. But and honestly, looking at it, it's just it's just light flickering, which is not not a good thing. But it's not like the game doesn't play. Yeah, it's just some weird compatibility issue. Uh, who knows? Either way, we are. Uh, I don't know. I remember when they first showed this game. I thought this looks cool, but mm-hmm. at the same time, one of the downsides at the time was that thought process where we're we've already seen so many of the. Um, the Ubisoft style games that I was like, ah, this looks like it could be cool, but I'm also a little worried that it can be a little too Ubisoft style where sometimes I feel like there's not much weight to what's going on. I've been a little disconnected from Ubisoft. So I say that as more of a stain from previous games where I felt like that style got abused, but what's your hit on this? I mean, you you like team Ninja games, right? Yeah. Uh, it sounds fun. Um, it looks cool as hell. It does. I mean, when they showed it, I thought this looks incredible. 
Yeah, I'm excited to to give it a shot. Um, but until I see more, I really don't have anything to say. It's cool, but... Yeah, well, I could say that if I actually thought this game would have been coming this year, which clearly I didn't, this is a game I might have taken a chance on in place of something else. Like, mm. maybe instead of Redfall, I would have chose this or something like that. But <laughs> hard to say, you know? The revisionist history. <laughs> I mean, who knows? I'm, I'm I never just... thought this was actually coming. So, no. uh, now I don't mean not coming at all, but there's something about the way they showed the game where I'm like, this feels like they're showing it both too early, but I could also see it coming out next month. But since they didn't give a release date, I'm like, this just feels like one of those things where they're showing it and you're seeing gameplay or at least in-engine footage. Mm-hmm. But clearly it's not ready. Um, but I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, uh, Team Ninja's last PlayStation exclusives, Neo and Neo 2, were fairly highly, well, console exclusives. But they were fairly highly... Um, what would be, I guess, reviewed and, and loved by fans. And I really like Neo 1. I didn't play Neo 2. No particular no. reason, just too much stuff I, going on. I don't know. I fell off Neo. It's fun. Really? I fell off, yeah. It's, yeah. There's things I really liked about Neo, like the idea of stances and how you can easily switch between them. And there's mm-hmm. times where I kind of wish that other games would actually play into that. Um, Big Jedi. But, you know. Actually, yeah. I mean, it does have stances, but they're not in the same sense. Like, you can only equip two in Jedi Survivor mm-hmm. at any given time, and you just kind of, and you still flip between them. And I enjoy that aspect of it. Uh, but I like that this one was more like your stances are like: Are you going high? Are you going mid? Are you focusing on low? And then you need to use these stances to break certain aspects, and you need to constantly be changing them. Whereas realistically. I did change stances in Jedi Survivor, but you never needed to. Like, it wasn't that important to the gameplay loop. It was more just like, hey, if you want to, it's kind of cool. It's something you can do. Whereas Neo, it's like, yeah, you need the stances. You need to understand what stances required to break certain defenses. But that's a high skill ceiling, and you get into this thing where I saw a video of uh, someone talking about Elden Ring and Final Fantasy 16 and complaining that Final Fantasy 16 to them was too easy. Uh, and I'm not going to act like Final Fantasy 16 is incredibly difficult on its normal version. Apparently, like I said, it's more difficult on the New Game Plus. Give me like It's like Final Fantasy mode or something is what they call it. Yeah. Um, but they talk about Elden Ring selling 20 million copies and a lot of that being off the back of its difficulty. And as much as I am saying that I like the idea from Neo and the skill ceiling is fun... I don't think every game should be that way. I, I, you know, if every game was suddenly just breakneck hard and, and, and Elden Ring difficult, <laughs> that would suck. And I'm being honest. I, I love those games, but I think that you love them because they're kind of splashes in the water. You don't see them constantly. Like you see yeah. them and you enjoy that challenge, but then you like going off and playing something that's challenging, but still gives you a power fantasy. Like you, you kind of want that prime sometimes. And sometimes you want to get your ass beat into the ground until you can overcome it and go, fuck yeah, I did it. <laughs> that was me. You've never been as hyped as when I saw you beat the ape <laughs> in Sekiro. Where I was, it was it was, was like yeah. pure emotion over you. You're just like what? You, uh, <laughs> <I did it." laughs> yeah, that was a fun fight. Ah, Sekiro, like you, you could game. barely believe it. You know what I mean? Oh, like, I, I know. Yeah, because but I would. So I don't hard. want every game being that. That's no. there's a balance to be had there. Well, I feel like that's um, why most Souls like games suffer because Dark Souls does it so well 
that you, it, but it's not something that you inherently want. Like, I feel like people don't inherently want that challenge in every game, but because of how well Dark Souls does it, they'll accept it. And then when, you know, like the surge comes out and it's totally fine, but it's also really hard. You're like, eh, I think I'm good here. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's weird because one thing I can note is that almost any time that I actually go and play a, a From Software game and beat it, for like a few months afterwards, I'm playing every game on its hardest difficulty. <laughs> and then I'll eventually, I don't, I don't know what it is, but eventually I'll just reset. I think I'll play something that doesn't really have a difficulty in that way. And I'll just, or I'll play something with friends and then I'll kind of just reset and then I won't. I'll just play games on normal difficulty. And then sure enough, you know, the next FromSoft game will come out and I'll play it and then I'll be like, yeah, I'm gonna play everything on hard. And it <laughs> even even the successful Souls like games, uh, for me at least, like, you know, whenever I played Mortal Shell and then did that no shell run for the platinum, it was like crazy games had to be harder. So I remember that for like the next four or five months, I was playing every game on the hardest difficulty it would let me at the start. And eventually I was like, This is insane, and I need to just be <laughs> able to play a game. <laughs> <laughs> and, I don't know. I thought that was funny, uh, but I guess it's like uh, your mind is primed to the challenge, so you kind of want to keep it up. So you know what? Maybe I think it was Maximilian Dude or somebody like that. So I can forgive him because no. maybe he just came off of uh, Elden Ring and he's wanting challenge that isn't necessarily there in sixteen. You know, like I've I've died once uh, in sixteen. You know, I've gotten close a few times just from doing too risky of things, but. I'm completely happy with where the skill ceiling is on 16. <laughs> Speaking of souls like Chris, I'm going to yeah, grab I... Remnant 2 when it comes out. Mm. And I don't know if that's uh, if that's your speed, but you know, three yeah, I, co-op. I played like shooter. 40 hours of Remnant 1 on PC, so I'm down. Remnant 1's incredible, so. Fantastic. Let's do it. Uh, moving on to the next piece of news. Speaking of big, meaty RPGs, uh, Baldur's Gate 3 looks to be one of them uh, for fans of the genre with recent interviews with IGN stating that a run of the game uh, where you touch upon all of the content will likely run players upwards of 200 hours. Uh, they coupled this with statements attesting to its size, claiming it features quote, three times more cinematic dialogue than all three Lord of the Rings novels combined and 174 hours of cinematics, making it more than twice the length of every season of game of Thrones combined End quote. Uh, the game is set to launch on PS5, albeit about a week later than its original August 31st date, as it has moved to September 6th. PC players, on the other hand, will enjoy a bit of a move up with the date now being August 3rd for PC specifically. One thing about this that's kind of weird, and it doesn't bother me, I think that we've you've heard me kind of say that some of the conversation around Final Fantasy 16 is this idea that it's like more of a movie than a game. It's like 75% cutscenes. Mm-hmm. And... I don't know that I agree with that playing it. There's plenty of gameplay. Definitely. If you want more gameplay, you can play more before you go do more cutscenes. Like there's game there if you want to explore. But what's kind of funny here is having the statement of, oh yeah, we're a game, a run where you do everything is like 200 hours. And then saying that 174 hours of cinematics, I'm like, so 26 hours of that is gameplay. And that doesn't bother me. It's just interesting. Cause it's like, it, it reminds me of the conversation around 16 where it's like, is this more concerned with being cinematic? And I doubt it. This is probably talking about, you know, interstitials that you see kind of like yeah. Diablo 4 has a lot. So I actually really appreciate that you went first because you've single-handedly proven why I hate this piece of news 
and don't <laughs> want to talk about it because, and I'm not trying to be a dick to you, but as far as I'm concerned, as far as I know, you've never played a Larian game, correct? Oh, I've played Divinity too, a very, right. very small bit. Okay, well, yeah. you didn't play the whole thing. So, nope. Which I know that game's like 150 hours, if I remember. I had a friend long. who loved it's, it. I don't know if it's yeah. that long, but, um, yeah, the conversation is uh, around this is just people who've never played a Larian game, so they don't know what this means. You're no. gonna the 174 hours. It, like, okay, this game is literally D and D, yeah, and sure. in D and D, you can do anything, which means the game needs to account for the fact that you can do anything. So, I would imagine a lot of this is just different variations of the same conversations, right? Probably, so yeah. everyone is talking about, wow, that's a terrible way to sell the game. And as a person <laughs> who plays the games that they make, I'm like, why? That actually sounds very good because it, it's telling me as the player, we're giving you a lot more variation and you we're accounting for a lot more variation in our cutscenes. You know, if I turn it on and it's a 174-hour movie, I'm going to be just as pissed as everyone else. But having experience with that studio... That's not what the, what it is. And well, and it, I think having experience with that type of game, though, right? Because I mean, well, if we're yeah. being honest, it, it's weird how gaming culture kind of moves around. And I think we've all been part of liking certain things and then finding ourselves disliking certain things, or at least the way they're presented. But do you remember the point in time where, um, for Arkham City, and I don't remember the numbers, so it, the numbers don't really matter. But at the time that Arkham City came out, uh, and open world games were becoming fairly large, this was 2010, and had a lot of dialogue and stuff in them. But people would talk about the complaints of seeing the same dialogues or the you know people not accounting for you doing certain things very well. Mm-hmm. And I remember at the time, it was like everybody was over the moon that... Uh, it would be you would have to sit there and listen to a conversation in Arkham City for like 20, 30 minutes before you'd start seeing the goons like repeat dialogue. And <laughs> I love that. I, that yeah. was actually a great part of the game. Like you'd go and almost every time you came up on a group of goons, they were hardly ever talking about the same thing. Like if you played the game long enough doing all side content, you'd eventually hear it. But it happened so seldom that it was easy to kind of stay in the game. And these type of games where you have permeations, this is like saying that. Mass Effect is bad for having a bunch of, uh, you know, know, how much audio had to be in the game for Arkham Knight and for this, for them to be able to account for that stuff. So, yeah, I'm with you. But the outside looking in does sound to the average person 26 hours of gameplay, which clearly is not what it is. Skill Up did um, a review for Final Fantasy 16 and he's like it's 75% cutscenes and I was like I just don't think that that's really like I get where you're trying to go and you're trying to set the expectation with people that it's a cutscene heavy game which it is and I wouldn't say it isn't but I was like I just feel like that's kind of a weird way to approach it because people are going to hear that and their first thought is not oh it's a lot of cutscenes but interspersed with a lot of gameplay they're just going to think oh it's like almost all cutscenes with very little gameplay and that's just it's kind of like here you're going to interact with cutscenes as often as you choose to interact with things that have cutscenes and then the mm-hmm. variations within them, like you've been talking about, which Final Fantasy doesn't have variations. It's a very narrow, yeah. linear story. That, but That's the thing with this. Like We're talking about a weekly game night of playing this. And I was telling my friend who we're going to play with where I'm like, I want to play, I'm going to play an evil character. And the entire point of my character is like, yeah, we're together, but like, you guys will probably hate me through the whole thing. 
because I'm just going to go kill people and I'm going to steal the money and I'm going to do evil shit because that's more that's fun. And I think the idea of the fact that you guys like, let's say you're paying a paladin and he was playing a good guy and I'm just this evil necromancer. Right. The game is going to account for that in a lot of ways. So, like, again, it's just I think Larian did themselves no favors by doing this because there's no context to it, you know? Nobody has well, any sense of how this... Nobody from the outside has any sense of how this is. So you're speaking to someone like me, and I'm going, fuck yes. But then someone like like you or someone who doesn't know it goes, wow, that looks like it sucks. If I wanted to watch a movie, I would just watch a movie. And I'm like, that's not, what the, that's not even what the fucking what game saying, is. Yeah. Like you don't yeah. play a JRPG and go, oh no, I hate how long this is, or you don't, you know, you don't play that kind of stuff. Like you have to know what you're playing going in. I hate when people don't know. Like, I think or, Santa I, Claus just landed on my roof back here. Oh, Christmas in July. <laughs> I really am trying to figure it out. This the the room I'm in in the studio is a closed in porch, so it's got a really mm-hmm. low pitch roof. So anytime something lands on the roof, you can hear it pretty well. But I don't know what the fuck that was. It sounded like feet hitting at different times. What would Santa be doing in July? It's Did Christmas he have like a heat stroke July, and he's dude. confused? Yeah, <laughs> he's like, exactly. it's so hot. It must be Christmas. Um, <laughs> but no, I'm, I'm with you on that. Uh, I think sometimes the way that they choose to... It, it's it, Everyone views these things differently, right? I've always thought about the games where they try and market them off of the number of hours. And I'm like, that's just never the best way to sell a game to me. Because I don't care if a game's long. Like, it could be really cool that it's long. But when all you're worried about in your marketing is telling me that there's... And I don't view this this way. This comes off differently because of all the other talk about cinematics and stuff. And I also understand the type of game it is. And even though I usually understand the type of game, I hate when a game's like... There's 300 hours of content. I'm like, that doesn't matter. If the content sucks ass, why Why are you only talking about the quantity, like the hour quantity? I would rather you say this game's got incredibly deep storylines and then leave me to figure out that there's 300 hours of incredibly deep storylines. A game that kind of did this, if I remember correctly, um, what was the the sequel game for the zombie thing that came out? Dead? Maybe it's not dead. Hold on. Dead I'm, Island Riptide? No, not Riptide. It was from the same developer that moved on and made that Dying one. Light. Dying Light. Dying Light 2. Do you remember them talking yes. about this where they were like, I was gonna bring the game up. will take 110 hours? And I'm like, or actually, I think it was like, I think it was 200 hours. It was that magical 200, that Skyrim. I remember when I worked at GameStop, 200 hours of game content became the thing in, when Skyrim came out. <laughs> because yeah. it, it was like everyone wanted to be able to match that because Skyrim blew up and sold like crazy. So everybody was like, we got to talk about how many hours of game content we had because it worked for them. But I don't think that that works as well now because most of us don't care about the hour count so much as we care that the hour count is good content. And I think that's where games like Witcher 3 came in where they're pretty dense and there's a lot of stuff, but most of the side content is pretty compelling and pretty good storytelling. Mm-hmm. So it's a mixed bag. It's just marketing is hard because you want to market to different groups of people, but gaming media makes that hard because maybe they were trying to say this for the people that like this kind of talk and then games media picks it up and blows it up to everyone. And that now it's hitting people who don't like to hear this, but may otherwise like the game. It sucks. Yeah. It's just weird. Cause it's going to turn a lot of people off who would probably enjoy this. Yeah, I'm ready for the. I think a once a week play session is really a, a smart idea. Like you, you sent me just to kind of break behind the wall. You sent me the class layout and the yeah. 
the race selections and everything. Uh, and I, of course, I knew that you would see it as like, I, I jokingly said, oh, God. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the, the idea of it being a weekly thing that you can come back to and, and it kind of constantly stays spooling in the back of your mind, I think that's mm-hmm. a great idea. And I hope more people play it this way um, because it kind of like Remnant. I didn't play Remnant 1 alone at all. And I don't, and I hope not that I don't get Remnant 2 and then don't really have anybody lined up to be able to play with because that game, much like this, I feel like are really meant to be co op experiences in the way that they're designed. And it would be yeah. a, it, it would, not to say that it won't work, but I think it'd be kind of a shame to play this game single player. Um, I, I will. Like, I'm sure <laughs> it'd still be great, but my point being is that I think that there's, I guess I should say at least playing it in the multiplayer aspect well, gives it, you a whole different yeah, side of the game. Because that's the thing. It's like I said when I was talking about all the permutations. It's it is. I'm not even. This is not even me like trying to describe it. This is quite literally D and D. So, yeah. <laughs> like, I got that from is, Divinity big time. And like I said, I before I ever bought it to play with you, I'd actually played it with my friend a while. Yeah, before. and I played a little bit of Divinity Original Sin actually as well. Nice. I just never got big into any of them. I just I, I played them. My friend adores the series, so I'd play with so him great. split screen. So. Yeah, um, but even more so than divinity just to drive the point home this is literally D. <laughs> the divinity That's is true. this D&D is forgotten inspired. this is straight <laughs> up dungeons and dragons <laughs> yeah one thing that you said that you know going back to matt's question about things that kind of annoy you for no real reason like yeah. they're small you kind of said what I like about this game is that being a necromancer would seemingly bring with you the questionable aspects of being a necromancer. Whereas in Diablo, because I'm meant to be the chosen one for this story, I'm a necromancer walking through resurrecting corpses and dead bodies. And yet I act like seeing someone die is like the worst thing in the cutscenes. <laughs> and then one of the characters is like, what? Oh, he's, he's dealing in the dark magics. He's learned necromancy. And I'm like, I'm a necromancer and you're fucking helping me, guy. Like, <laughs> there's a disconnect here. Like, I'm walking around with bodies following me, just a, yeah. a, an army of people's skeletons that were someone's loved one. And, <laughs> and you're worried about the bad guy who's doing the same thing. <laughs> and he's a monster for it. But here I am, just fine. But, you know, it's that's gameplay before story mm-hmm. because of the way that Diablo plays. And I like that this game is trying to account for like gameplay. And story. And that's how those things interact each other. Because I'm planning on playing exactly what you're saying, a dragonborn necromancer. So I'm just going to be the evilest son of a bitch of all time. Yeah, no, dude. My guy should ostensibly be, be, like my Diablo 4 guy, should be being hunted by everyone. I'm defiling (laughs) graves. No one should like me. Yeah, but you're the the main character, dog. Main character syndrome, quite literally. (laughs) Quite literally. Uh, next piece of news is one of the big ones. And I'd be curious if I'll come back around to this. But Saddle Up Cowboys rumors are indicating that Rockstar Games is planning on bringing Red Dead Redemption to modern consoles for the first time in forever. Uh, whilst reporting is mixed on if the title is a remaster or a remake, it does appear to be coming soon. The first indication was a rating on the Korean rating board sometime last week, which in and of itself indicates something is brewing in the background. But... Rumors were reinforced on this week's Sacred Symbols, where Colin Moriarty, when discussing the rating, said that he's been shown definitive proof that the game is coming this year and went on to guess that the game would be announced in August. It seems that earlier rumors that we talked about on this show of Rockstar canceling these remasters, I think it was this and Grand Theft Auto 4, yep. um, 
after the disastrous launch of Grand Theft Auto Trilogy that they got lambasted for, uh, were wrong, but rather that Rockstar instead decided to give these games more time. Gut feeling on this, Chris, do you think this is a remake or do you think this is just a remaster? Both make sense. Both do make sense. But the weird thing is, is that they called like the Grand Theft Auto trilogy in many ways. It was touted as a remaster, but in almost every way, it's it's a remake. Like It's built on a new engine. Mm-hmm. They brought brand new models and everything in. And it's one of those games that kind of blurs the line. I feel like Metroid Prime uh, remastered earlier this yeah. year kind of did that. Like It's the same game, but almost nothing from the original game is there. It's like all new poly, like uh, all new uh, polygons and stuff for character models are all much smoother, higher quality, different textures, but it's, it's the same game. Right. But I, it's not I, like Demon Souls level. I mean, I don't know game development, but like how difficult is it to throw it into the new Red Dead engine and then just fix well, the art. bugs? I, I think right? it's art at that point, right? It's like if it's going to be in the new engine, you you need art that works within the way the new engine looks and well, how yeah, it but chooses Red Dead to do. Two is almost the entire same map, except oh, yeah. for just so turning, the question it, is turning up. How time much is bit. just yeah? How much is it just taking the motion capture stuff that you had from those games and the voice files? Uh, a good way to look at it. I don't know how much that you've ever looked into this yourself. I think you've heard me talk about it a little mm-hmm. bit. Is uh, where people recreate older Elder Scrolls games and new ones by just being like, yeah, we're going to make it to where you can play Oblivion and Skyrim's engine. Yeah, like Skyrim. And it's like, we take, yeah, we take all of the Oblivion character models and just re, like, revamp them up, put them in this new thing. We take the world of there and recreate it inside of Skyrim's engine so it looks and acts that way, but it has the mechanical backing of Skyrim, but then we take all the voice files and bring them over. They did the same thing with Morrowind, but they had to record voice lines. So it's an interesting idea. Like, what is the workload? But when you look at something like Skywind or Skyblivion or Morrowind, where you can play Morrowind inside of Oblivion, it took them like seven, eight, nine years. Like, Skywind, which is Morrowind inside of Skyrim, is still in development. Mm -hmm. And it was announced in like 2015. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Look, here here's the thing. I hope it's a remake. But that's fan made, you know. Yeah. I hope it's a remake and the dream, right? No shot this happens. Give me an $80 version that starts with Red Dead 2 and then after the epilogue opens into Red Dead Redemption. I would pay whatever the fuck they wanted for that. But it's not going to happen. But I'd pay whatever they wanted. It's not going to happen, but I'd pay whatever they wanted. And you mean in the seamless sense where you're not because like you could do that right like you could you could control yourself doing that. But oh you no, want I it mean to be, literally. You want it to be like old Pokemon Silver, where like as soon as you're done, you can go and straight go up to Kansas yeah, or whatever like region. All you have to do right is finish the epilogue of Red Dead, have the character in the epilogue go to sleep, and then wake up, and it's it's the start of Red Dead One. That's how I would like to play that game. Damn Pinkertons. <laughs> Goddamn Pinkertons. Like, that's the thing. That's that's too that would be too sick. But I would like to see something like what that. What would be cool is if it's if it's just like a PS5 version of Red Dead 2 at the same time. Like Red Dead 2, PS5, PS uh, well, yeah, PS5 that's exactly what I'm saying. remaster yeah, exactly. or remake of, of Red Dead 1. And if you buy both of them, you have the option for the game to recognize it and do that. Uh, that would be way too complicated, but that would be cool. If it was it optional, would be, it would like be you cool could either choose like to start directly into Red Dead 1. 
that or you, you know, could play Red Dead Two and go through. It's funny because in an all digital future, what could be possible is something like that, where the game recognizes that you have Red Dead One, and you just have to click something in the t- in the the menu that goes continue with Red Dead One at the end of Red Dead Two, and then just pops you right over to the new the new game, and that's only possible digitally. Explain to me how it's possible only digitally. I, I really mean this. How can you? Everything you, can't you just seamlessly, said, you cannot seamlessly transfer into another game with disc. You can't do it. If I have to get up and put a disc in, it's not seamless. You know what? You know how you do it. Detachable disc drive that lets me play two discs at once. No, the game already knows that you have. You already have that disc file right sure. on your PlayStation because you don't. We don't. We haven't played from disc since ps4 Mm -hmm. uh most of ps3 honestly we weren't playing from disc we were playing from the hard drive and we're doing that on ps4 we're doing it now in the solid state drive on ps5 all you have to do is put in a license that checks to see if you've played that game on there and then just goes through and says okay yeah we just bum this license and keep going through that's it that's all you gotta do because the disc only matters as a license check so digitally you're saying I mean, you could do it digitally, but you could do it with the disc as well. You could do it with the disc version. I don't know if you actually remember. I'm saying the old it wouldn't be idea. possible on a disc. But yes, if, if you're we going to download it onto disc. the hard drive, that's what I'm saying. Like it would be something where it would. But that's still a physical future. I mean, I get where you're coming from. All I'm saying is that we haven't played from a disc. The disc installs the game on your hard drive. It's been like that since more or less most of PS3. 360 almost entirely played from the. Um, from the disc with the option later in life for you to install it on your hard drive for performance reasons or because your disc was scratched or whatever. Um, but re- the reality of it was just a disc to this day is just a way for it to install the game onto your hard drive. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, kind of akin to old uh, PC where you had the put 12 discs in before you could start playing the game for really big games. You had to install the whole game on your hard drive your and then play it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, playing from a floppy. <laughs> uh, either way, yeah, I'm curious about this. I guess where I'm coming from is I really enjoyed Red Dead 2, but every time I've tried going back to Red Dead 1 and my first time playing Red Dead 1, it didn't click with me. Can it finally happen? And if I'm going into it without worrying about that my, my first thing would be like, I can't go into it being like, oh, is this game is going to look so much better. It's just got to be, you know, this is going to be a new way to play a game that people love that I have a new opportunity to try and love. Yeah, I played Red Dead on PS3 relatively recently. It's still good. So I'm excited to play this. I'd love to play it in the, in the Red Dead 2 engine. That would just be yeah, sexy. I could I could play Red Dead Redemption right now on my Xbox One or my Xbox Series X in 4K, probably 60. Mm-hmm. But why not hold out at this point? Yeah. Add yourself a little bit. And I guess that speaks to where this being a remake might make more sense because you can kind of already play it as a remaster. You have been able to for like six years. I also wonder if the only way they can get it on PC is to remake it because apparently it was so fucked, the the version that came out, that they could never put it on PC. Because of the the rage engine at the time, I was reading it. It was held together with like Auto gum and duct hit. tape. <laughs> well, Grand Theft Auto Four hit PC, right? Yeah, but I'm I'm talking well, specifically Red Dead. That, that no, game uh, yeah, was I was built just talking about the up. the engine 
sound. Yeah, I, I don't think it's an engine thing. I think it's just the way they built Red Dead. It wasn't. It was held together very shoddily, you hmm. know, like a submersible. Um, Which kind of makes you wonder how the backwards, the enhanced backwards compatibility worked. But I guess it's because it's happening without really touching the game's files. All yeah. it's saying is we're going to run the visual aspect through something that sharpens it, and we're going to let the textures run up. Exactly. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. That's an interesting take. Uh, we have one final piece of news here. Uh, Savage Game Studio has lost its managing director, announcing his exit on LinkedIn. Mike Mikhail Katkoff, something like that, exits the studio not even a year after Sony acquired it. Another blow, at least optically, uh, to Sony's mobile initiative. So this comes after us talking about Sony's mobile initiative seemingly having some problems and people leaving. And um, I do want to take the opportunity to say someone leaving doesn't have to spell negativity. Uh, but I think some of what we kind of are talking about is Sony haven't had an obvious win like we kind of talked about. Not Sony. Let me rephrase that. PlayStation's mobile division in particular has not had an obvious win come out of that uh, effort. And we're seeing people leave. So there's a reason for some people to be like, does this mean that the reason we haven't seen something is because they're having problems? Or are the games that are about to blow up there and we're just seeing people leave as usually can happen? So like Chris said in writing the news, this is more optical than anything that because we don't have any big, crazy, great mobile game out of Sony uh, or PlayStation, again, rather, because... Uh, Josh Ayers, longtime listener, longtime patron, last week uh, took to the Discord, the podcast discussion um, section, and pointed out that one of the biggest mobile games of all time, um, which is like a Fate Extra, I don't actually know how to pronounce that series name. I've heard about it for a long time, um, which is a Sony published or maybe Sony developed. I think it's a Sony published game, um, is like in the top 10 mobile games of all time from a monetary standpoint like it's a uh, revenue but it's sony music or something weird it's it's maybe it's part of anaplex i think is actually what it is so it's it's sony adjacent but it's not talking about playstation playstation ip or being branded as playstation and i think that that does matter because it's kind of like microsoft has had successes outside of xbox but people still want Xbox to have certain threshold successes because this is an individual branch within them. Mm-hmm. Um, so you wrote this piece of news, Chris. I mean, we've kind of talked a little bit about it last week, but I mean, what do you feel about this? I mean, recent acquisition, someone moving, do you think it really matters or do you think this is strictly an optical problem that they're going to have to see by putting out a game that is worthy? Um, I think it's an optical thing because... I don't mean to discredit him, but it's not like he's a game director. He's not a producer. He's basically the guy making sure the studio runs, which is a hugely important job. But it doesn't necessarily affect um, the quality of the game that's going to come out of Savage. So as of right now, I'm not having a mental breakdown over it. So, yeah, but it does. It, it's definitely not a good look for you to just be bought and then the guy running the studio leaves. But if you read what he said, it was, it seems a lot of like a, a lot more like it's a personal decision and he just needs a break from work basically, which I get. So (laughs) deeply. Me too, buddy. Yeah. I get where he's coming from. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that this is really an indicator of anything negative at this current moment. 
Well, we have a question that came in from one of our patrons, Rude Days 93. Um, and I like it because it's kind of where I was already going to go with this. And it's an important way to kind of look at, like, you know, we're commenting on Sony's mobile division while we at least currently don't actively partake in anything that they have put out. Uh, and you could look at a number of reasons. Maybe it's because we don't mobile game much. Maybe it's because we haven't seen any of the games look compelling enough. But Rude Days comes with a question. He says, ignoring right now that PS Mobile Division isn't looking too good, if, say, they were to take off, add trophy support, would you become a PS Mobile gamer? Let's assume these are also your hardcore mobile games, the Candy Crush type, microtransactions galore everywhere. So that's kind of where we are. Do you kind of have a feeling of this, Chris? Like, do you think that there's a world in which you could see Sony put something out mobily that is very mobile driven in the way that it goes for revenue and everything that you go through? And is the answer not just that PlayStation version of Marvel Snap that you talked about last week? (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, you're talking to someone with 300 hours in a mobile game. But um, I don't think i would ever call myself a what was it a playstation mobile gamer i don't ever think i would call myself that but that doesn't mean i wouldn't play playstation mobile game and yeah if i really liked it and it had trophies i would go for it and see if i get the platinum but that's more of a trophy thing than a game thing you know well let me rephrase the question then do you see a future where enough games come out of Sony with things that are added like trophy support where it's really inundated in the ecosystem for PlayStation, right? Mm-hmm. Do you see a version where they put out enough games to where you start actively being excited when you hear about games that are from PlayStation's mobile division that are clearly going to be on phone to where you'd be like thinking about it, like, cool, I'm hyped to play this day one. This is going to be good because the other games have been so good. Or do you think that the type of gaming that it is kind of just you already have because we've been talking all episode about how we only have so much time for even the console side of gaming now of course mobile gaming happens in different places on break at work uh traveling in a car when someone else is driving or something like that i mean there's plenty of ways in which you can go about playing mobile but do you think that that would be something that could actually hit you and work into your life or do you think the mobile side is just a little too disconnected from what you want as a gamer anyway. It depends how built for mobile it is. Does that make sense? Because I'm not excited for Savage's game. Because apparently Savage is working on a AAA shooter. And I'm like, I don't want to play that shit on my phone. phones? Yeah. Yeah. Some people really like that, though. My brother is a huge... He plays Call of Duty mobile constantly. Yeah. Well, actually, up until I gave him the Vita, he did. He's been not playing it as much lately. I've played it. I liked it. But he didn't have consoles, you know. He didn't have right. consoles, so I think it's he feels like that's the closest he can get for something he already has, since he can't really afford a console. Yeah, I and mean, that's definitely a different thing. And that's I would be more likely to be sympathetic there. I think not sympathetic. That's a weird way of putting it. But I would be if I was in that situation. Then yeah, I could get more hype for this stuff. But as someone sure. who can sit here and play on console, like why would I want to play a shooter on my phone? Like that's why I love Marvel Snap so much because it's not an experience I'm getting on console. I don't have Hearthstone on console. Gwent is dead, and I played hundreds of hours of Gwent on console. So, you know, Marvel Snap is the perfect mo- mobile game for me because I can sit there on my phone, you know, 
even some of the small stuff like I play me and my girlfriend play it. So like if I have a good game of snap, I'll screenshot it and just send her a text. Like that's all like that stuff is fun, but Mm -hmm. it has, it has to be built for that specific market. And right now, like I said already, a first person shooter on my phone sounds like a nightmare and I don't want that. But if it had an easy trophy list, maybe I would play (laughs) it, but I'm not going to get excited about it. Yeah, you know, talking about that style of game, uh, and this has been true on handhelds too, right? Where it seems like the dream, and and I love the dream because that's why I like Vita and PSP so much, but I understand that the market at large seems to not. But the dream for everybody is always to be able to make AAA console quality games on the go, be it on a Switch or on the Vita or on a phone. And part of me is like, have we not done enough tests to know that the market just doesn't really like that? Like, even if you really look at some of the best-selling Switch games, most of them are the games that were already made for handheld-style consumption anyway. The Pokemon games sell like mad, and those games are incredibly easy to pick up and play on the go. They don't require a lot of in-depth play. They don't. They can be played for five minutes and then put back to sleep, and you can come back to it without any interruption. They're not the way they deliver story is very different. So, part of me thinks like the market has more or less proved that it doesn't want that, but maybe not because Call of Duty Mobile seems to be doing pretty well, and I don't know enough about it because I've never tried it. But if it's anything like what Warzone is, do these matches take sometimes 20 minutes to play? And I guess the weird thing is, is even though the idea for mobile gaming should be that you can pick it up and put it down very easily, mobile games clearly are made to try and get you to keep playing them as long as you can in any given stint so they can get you to stay around longer and hopefully get you to spend money. And to that end, he talks about in the question a Candy Crush type game. And I'll tell you, Chris, you kind of talked about how you and Sadie um, will play your game together, right? You'll you'll play mm-hmm. Marvel Snap, and if, it's like a way for you to share something with her that's both of y'all's hobby. And there's a game that I got my wife playing because she's real into Candy Crush, and I used to be like when I worked at the hospital and didn't it'd be a slow time. You just pop out your phone and play Candy Crush. Match three type games are fun. They are they're Love. very gamey games. They're super fun. I play one called Royal Match um, that I started like a month ago, uh, maybe not even that. And my I got my wife to she still plays Candy Crush, but she always complains how she's out of life. So she finally downloaded this one, and she's kind of gotten addicted to this one. So we do the same thing. We talk about where we're at you know, how many levels we've gone through, whether we have certain active abilities and stuff. Um, But one of the big differences is I am not the core market for these because (laughs) I fucking, I refuse to pay money. (laughs) It's like I'm indignant and obstinate and stubborn and I'm not going to do it. So I'm like, no, you call this a free game? Let's test how free you're willing to make it, bad boy. (laughs) And so my wife will be like, well... For a dollar, I can get two thousand, ten thousand coins for a Fourth of July deal they're doing, and I just looked at her and she's like, "I'm not going to do it. It's your money. Do what you want." But I'm indignant over here. If I can't, if I'm stuck on a level and I could spend money to get coins or power ups to help me get through, I'm just like, "No, I will beat this my <laughs> way." Uh, so to that end. I, I could see myself playing the right type of games. Like, you know, I could see myself playing a card based game or even I don't know what PlayStation could put out that was a a type a match three type game <laughs> that would be IP specific at all. But if they could do it and find a way to do it well, I'd play it. I, absolutely. It's a Ghost um, of Tsushima one and you have to match haikus. That would be really funny. 
It's not, yeah, it would be. There was a uh, there was one I can't remember the name of it, so you're gonna have to forgive me on that. There was a Pokemon one that was kind of like that, um, where it was like match three inspired, but it had some weird things on it. And I played the hell out of that. I played hundreds of hours of that, and I've played mm-hmm. hundreds of hours of this. You know, it's like it's the kind of thing where like it's it's twelve o'clock at night, and I'm trying to go to bed. And I'm just fucking around on my phone for another hour because I'm doing too well in the game. So yep. I, def- I definitely get the draw on how that ends up happening. Um, but, you know, you talked about being able to play certain things and what you're not getting on the console. And we're getting a little bit better about this on console. But what I'd say is games like An Ordinary Lost Phone and Packing Up or whatever, Moving Out, whatever that game was called. Unpacking. Uh, unpacking. Those are the type of games where traditionally you're not getting that kind of stuff on mobile on on console instead you get it on mobile and if if sony were able to do that that's the version of sony's ps mobile market that i could see myself being interested in like oh cool a game that kind of really plays to the strengths of what mobile's input options are cool i'd do that Mm -hmm. but i don't know that those games really generate the money that they would want so i don't know that i see them doing that (laughs) I don't know if they want something. I, I don't see this ever being something where you're getting an unpacking, which I have the platinum for. So, I mean, well, not really do you remember specific, but. Square Enix is a good example of why I, I don't know how to judge um, these different things because Square put out. Do you remember Final Fantasy 15 got the pocket edition where it was like yeah. just the story stripped down with none of the side content, no open world. And I always wanted to play that. But I was like, that'd be a perfect Vita game. Like, it's just Final Fantasy 15, turn-based combat, um, probably with a more streamlined, better story. But that game, I assumed it fairly all right on mobile. And then you have some them doing that new, what is that, Ever Crisis for Final Fantasy 7 that they keep showing off, mm-hmm. where it's like Final Fantasy 7's entire world story baked down into like a phone game where you're playing Crisis Core events and everything. And then you saw that, what was it? Uh, the first soldier game that was like a, I think it was like a um, Fortnite style game where everybody dropped down. It was like a third person shooter. And that is already closing, if I'm not mistaken. So I don't know. Square keeps doing it. Is it making them money and just closing in a natural way, but it feels to outside looking in that the game's doing poorly? Or is the game performing for a relatively long and then dying its life that it's supposed to die? I guess that's the question you have to ask Sony. Do they want games that are evergreen like Candy Crush, or are they okay with a game that eventually has an end date but still can make tons of money? They're just going to have to start realizing that, yeah, Candy Crush was evergreen, but there are millions of mobile games. So you're going to have to try a couple times. And again, that's why I don't believe in a AAA first-person shooter on mobile. Yeah. But we'll see how willing they are to try a few times, not only in the mobile market, but in the live service market. <laughs> Did Santa land on your... <laughs> it's certainly possible. He's just like drunk and flying and randomly hitting. <laughs> <laughs> he, yeah, he couldn't find his reindeer, so he just went and found some velociraptors. <laughs> <laughs> He's on a motorcycle and Chris Pratt is like in his ear. <laughs> Did, does that exist? Has someone done a spin on Santa where it's like Santa with... You should do that. That should be a Jurassic thing where it's just Jurassic World. I've never seen any of those. But just have Chris Pratt on the motorcycle with leads going across nine raptors. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. 
Ridiculous. All right. Uh, like we said, this is going to be a shorter episode. Uh, unless Chris has anything more to add on that, we are at the sexiest part of the show. What do you think, no. Chris? Riz it up, dog. Sex it up. Well, I'll tell you, before we sex it up, would you like for anyone who likes to bounce out before the Velvet's Corner? Because I know that not everyone wants that kind of, of content. But if you do want to bounce out, do you have a community's take that you kind of want to go through? I think this mobile question is an interesting one. Yeah, go Do any of our listeners see themselves becoming a PlayStation mobile gamer? Which you kind of mentioned, Chris. Maybe that's not the best way to word it. But I think, would you see yourself actively and excitedly interacting with PlayStation's mobile content in a future? Do you think there's a version of that that could exist if there's a way for them to do this? Uh, so, yeah. Will you see yourself in the mobile side of gaming and what would it look like? What would the ideal version look like for you? So we will be back next week, of course, to talk about that. We'll post that up, as always, on our social media. If you want to follow uh, on Twitter, we're at Triangle SQRD. On Facebook, we're a group, Triangle Squared, a PlayStation podcast. Asked to be uh, entered into there. We'll gladly let you join. And then, of course... Last but not least, we have our Discord, which is always linked in the description below. And we are ever so thankful for everyone who jumps in there. It's a good, fun, quick way to talk. It's probably where you're going to most likely find Chris and I. You can find Chris posting hot takes on his Twitter. You can at ChrisFigs underscore. Yeah. You can see him talking about baseball and how he's mad about it and games and how he's mad about it. I'm kidding. (laughs) It is really mostly baseball on my Twitter. You so. talk a lot of baseball. I'll look and I'm like, huh. I mean, I, I follow you because I love you, but I'm like, <laughs> I don't know anything about baseball. So this is way outside of my ball, like, <laughs> my, my, my courthouse. It'll um, stop after the season's over. You'll, it'll take a small but you know needed rest, and then you'll yes. start back up when the season starts again. 100%. Absolutely. Yeah, perennial, right? <laughs> exactly. I'll be blooming in <laughs> September. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, With that said, we will see those of you who want to hop off next week. But until then, I think my mouse has died again. That's unfortunate. Uh, So allow me a quick second while I prepare. Oh, oh, Chris Chris got it. Velvet's Corner. (laughs) Okay, let me give everyone the actual song that they came here for. Uh, Still not fixed. Still designed to edge Chris. Are you ready? Killing me. I like how, even though his name is Velvet Thunder, I threw a thunder like hit in there. Yeah, <laughs> audio wise, and the word thunder is never said, so it's like a, I guess it's technically an audio Easter egg for anyone who just happens to know. But if you know, you know. If you know, you know. All right, this week's came we kind of quickly. I put quick pressure on Velvet because. Uh, I put up the questionnaire collection and I knew that we were recording first thing in the morning, which is not normal for us. There's normally a big buffer for me to remind everyone they can get questions in. And since we're dealing with a lot of different time zones and uh, Velvet is not native to our lands, uh, we decided I I threw it out there to remind him and he threw this back at us. So what would be the tastiest Pokemon to eat and how would you prepare it? You can't pick one that's already designed like a food though. So that's the, the stipulation, the rules, it can't be like the fucking ice cream cone Pokemon. Um, so you can get pretty interesting with it. I, and I, Chris, I have, an, I have an immediate idea that's interesting. Okay. 
but I don't know how I, I'm, it's more of a challenge. Do you think you could pr- make something that you would find presentable and edible and that you would work with? You know, the trash bag Pokemon Garbodor? Uh huh. Do you think that you, as a challenge to a chef, could find a way to prepare that Pokemon in a delicious way? Yeah, probably. Uh, it really just depends, like what's in the trash bags, I guess. I mean, fair. And actually, Garbodor is the evolved version. I just can't remember. Is it Tro- Trobador? Trubbish. What's the first? Trubbish. Trubbish. That's right. Trubbish. Um, oh is God, more I'm of the 30. actual little trash bag. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> All right. A real so, reality setting in moment. Regale me quickly, and then I'll hear your actual answer. But regale me quickly how you might find a way to work out a meal within Trubbish or Garbodor. I mean, I feel like the easiest way is just battered and fried, right? Just kind of chop it you up take into the little whole pieces. bag of trash. Yeah, because it depends if it's meat that just if it's in the shape of trash, but it's not trash. You know, here's the thing: if if his back is like plastic, I don't want to eat it. That's but fair. if it's like it just looks like a trash bag, but it's a real thing, okay. Or we could look at it as like a like a hermit crab where it just uses the trash bags as a shell. And then you just shuck and shuck and kill it. You know what I mean? Just like clams, easy money. Well, you know what? Let's quickly use the Pokedex entry to give us a little bit more insight on how this is going to go. So Trubbish, the trash bag Pokemon. Trubbish prefer to live in dirty places like garbage dumps. It is said they were born when a chemical reaction occurred between an abandoned trash bag and industrial waste. So it sounds like eating trubbish might be poisonous. So this is an even bigger challenge. You know, like the people who like, it's like find the ways to cook the most poisonous fish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's like a delicacy that very few people have the skill to be able to create in an edible way. Yeah. Uh, do you even wonder know. in that situation, do you even wonder if those fish are actually good or if it's just the thrill of eating it, knowing that you're that you could. Potentially it's, it's the second one because I've always maintained <laughs> that I could open a mediocre restaurant, but if I only put like 10 tables in there, it would be the most popular restaurant of all time. Just because of the exclusivity feel. Correct. Like I could serve you straight up McDonald's and it would still be, it would still be the most, the one of the most talked about restaurants just because the exclusivity. Would you do like invite only? No, but I would do reservation only. Reservation only? My thought was always... With very specific reservation points? My thought was always, you come in, there's no menu, you get what you're served. Um, <laughs> there's okay. dinner. There's like eight uh, eight different meals. It's an hour. You get three courses. You pay $500, and you leave. That's the whole restaurant. Mm. Celebrity chefs come in, you know, all this kind of stuff. I think it's a good idea. That's fair. All right, let's go back to the real question for a second. We're really going to look at all of the... How many Pokemon are there now? Like 900? 1,000? Yeah, like 983, something ridiculous okay. like that. So the the roughly... If we look at all of the roughly 1,000 Pokemon, how do we prepare them? And here's the interesting thing. I think the real There's answer 10, 10. here... And I know, he's, I know he's asking for the tastiest Pokemon to eat, but if I'm going to be honest looking at the question, I feel like the real answer is that all food requires so much aspects of things like other mm-hmm. aspects that you can bring in a lot of different Pokemon in here, right? 
I so think this is somewhere in here, like we're we're gonna pull Celebi in and we're gonna chop him up like some little celery pieces or some like leeks, you know, some chives. Like for yeah, a little, something uh, like that. Yeah. Like maybe garnish. he's just garnish. Yeah. Exactly. See, you're following me. I guess so you. what or maybe we're making a beef stew. Maybe we're taking a mill tank and we're Here's the we're thing, milk mil- mil- tank's the, mil- the only answer that matters. It's a fucking cow. <laughs> <laughs> Tauros, I guess, is just a, a fancy a buffalo? cow. Buffalo? <laughs> yeah the yeah. answer is just milk tank and it's cheeseburgers like it's <laughs> <laughs> well i guess the upside is that you can make the cheese from the milk from the milk tank exactly right there you right. go is there a wheat pokemon by now i feel like there probably is ironically i don't know all of them well i guess so he says you can't use ones that are already presented as food. Uh, so I guess like the dog that looks like it has buns. I can't remember the name of it right now. The, the head like the bun ears. <laughs> Could you use those? Could you like cut its ear off? Cut its ear half? off. It's like rhino horns. <laughs> yeah, I mean, why not at that point? No, I think the easy answer is either Magikarp or Milk Tank. You could go with any fish Pokemon and probably be fine. Um, yeah, it's yeah, Dodge it's, Bun. Dash bun, dash bun. Um, I'm going milk tank, dude. I'm just making. I'm just. I'm using. I'm raising it up, and while I'm raising it, I'm getting milk for the cheese. And then once mm-hmm. it's of proper slaughter age, just cutting that, shooting that thing right in the head, grinding up the beef, making burgers. Easy money. Easy money. See, I, I guess the part of me that wants every part of the of the piece of food to be from Pokemon exist. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I want to be able to use like Fido or Dos Bun and pull a bun off from there, slice it, put the Mill Tank burger, the Mill Tank cheese. Is there a tomato Pokemon? I feel like the answer is no. But the thing is is they come out with so many more Pokemon these days <laughs> that it's a little harder to really understand where's what. I mean, I don't think that there's actually a tomato Pokemon at this point. Tomatoes exist in the world of Pokemon, of course. And then you could just got a tomato Pokemon. I don't know. For being honest, for a second, the the thing is actually that would be the evolution. Yeah, is Farfetch the best answer? Because then you just kill Farfetch. Oh, he's got a leak. Yeah, and then he's got the herb. He's got leaks, so you're good. Pansier. Celery is also clearly a good answer. He's he's just celery. I mean, (laughs) he is. He is. Or. Is the best Legendary answer, celery. Hold on. Is the best answer Arceus? But you don't eat Arceus. You just have him create food because he's God. <laughs> For the world. Part of me wants to go towards like, you just want to eat the most rare Pokemon. Like, ah, find me a Mew so I can eat well, that just That just depends how you cook Milk Tank. <laughs> also, the Pokemon games have never actually dealt with this. But in a world where where animals look like food and where also they're just essentially like, hear me out. As far as we can tell, in the world of Pokemon, mm-hmm. animals don't exist. Pokemon are animals. No, that's not right. True. So there that's are animals separate of Pokemon. Yeah. What game? And you might just awaken something that reminds me, but I don't feel like I've ever played a Pokemon it's, game it's, where it's I've seen an animal. Canon anime. So in the anime, there are non-Pokemon animals. Yeah, there's dogs, there's chickens. Okay. 
Okay. Well, it doesn't really take away from my point, though it does at least help mean that there's ways for them to avoid it. But much like hunting rare animals has become a thing in our world, you would imagine in the world of Pokemon, like these Pokemon, there'd be a group of people who poach Pokemon and eat them, right? Craven the Pokemon Hunter. <laughs> like in this world, there clearly has to be people who like capture Pokemon for like rare aspects of them. Like this is one of the only ways you can get ivory naturally in the world. Yeah. Cause like, we've never seen an elephant. We can Cut assume the there details. might be elephants, but how reasonable is it to just be like, yeah, Hey, dolphin is like an easy way for us to get ivory. Then you start having to wonder would people just capture Pokemon and breed them so that they can continuously mutilate them. Like we did, <laughs> like, yeah, you know, like most likely. Hmm. Would there be restaurants that would be like, we're serving Miltank? Like, in that world, someone's <laughs> eating a Pokemon. Free-range Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> Never before battled. Just lived in a green pasture until we decided yeah. to slaughter them. <laughs> We've got some grass-fed Miltanks right here. <laughs> that would be so funny. But even think about that aspect. Would, the they aspect- be, would that be Wagyu? This is a Japanese series, by the way. So Miltank? Yeah, would that, that be would Wagyu? Be would be like... <laughs> <laughs> think about though how much harder being a butcher would be or a slaughterhouse worker right because every time you go no. to try and kill a milk tank they just start using rollout and every time you get closer you it hurts more so you're in trouble then we get into the uncomfortable part of the world where they would have a machamp or something that they hire and treat and then the Machamp is hurting its own kind in order to protect the people who are killing his kind. So the answer is Agent 47. <laughs> exactly. You've got it. No. I nailed it. Uh, yeah. It's hard for it to not be Miltank. It just seems so obvious. But I guess if you're a vegetarian, which killing Celebi and eating celery from it is probably not vegetarian. Some for the spirit of vegetarian. You can <laughs> be you're still killing something. Because you could take Sunflora and then have it just bullet seed a bunch of times and you just roast up some Sunflora seeds and you're good. That's See, your smart man, seed. smart man. Yep. Guilt-free Sunflora seeds. That, exactly. that would be the name. Guilt-free Sunflora <laughs> seeds. Packaging would be talking about how... Free-range Sunflora seeds. <laughs> God. Well, okay, hold, uh, on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm about to take us on a, on a tangent. Oh, okay, let's hear it. You, veganism can't exist in Pokemon. Can it? No, the plants are also alive. That's well, but it is literally grass types. Oh, I know that, but we've already stated that if animals exist separate from Pokemon, then plants. We know this for sure. Plants exist separate from sure. Plants exist. So we've seen trees and grass. Yeah, but you can't eat a tree. You can't eat grass. You can't eat flowers. But Sunflora. You could eat byproduct of sunflora, right? Yeah, you could eat some. But isn't a but vegan again, the whole thing is nothing that touches an animal? That's what I was about to say. You run in, you could be vegetarian. You probably couldn't be vegan. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, vegan because, does not Yeah, because if you can't if you can't eat eggs as a vegan because they are harvested from a chicken, a chicken you don't know anything about. That chicken could be the best kept chicken in the world and he just drops mix. Can you be is everyone in the Pokemon world vegetarian? Veganism and Pokemon. How long? <laughs> Jesus Christ. How fucking long do you think this video is? If you had to guess. Oh, two hours. <laughs> no, it's way less than that, sadly. 22 minutes. 45 minutes. 
<laughs> 22 minutes of people discussing the potential of veganism in Pokemon. Yeah. Well, I mean, you'd assume that just because there's sunflower Pokemon, all sunflowers are not Pokemon, right? You'd assume, but we have no confirmation. We can only go with confirmation, conf- confirmed fact. What the hell just happened in my mouth? Um, well, look, this is where the Pokedex entries, which often horrify me, if I'm being honest. Mo- mm. Most Pokedex entries do There's not. They, they make it everything Pokemon, worse. Pokedex like, dude, the Drifloon one is yeah. incredibly dark. The Drowsy kids. one is pretty rough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, let's see. Uh, as far as... Um, here we are. So, Sunflora, the sun Pokemon. This smiling Pokemon loves the sun, but it also needs plenty of water to ensure healthy development. That just sounds like a normal fucking flower. I think you might be right, Chris. <laughs> there may not be. There is no ethical consumption under Pokemon. Mm. <laughs> Fuck capitalism. It's all. <laughs> there's, there's no. It's not about capitalism anymore. It's about whether or not there's ethical consumption under Pokemon. Nope, yep. That's really going to be my. I'm going to change my Twitter bio to that, actually. <laughs> there's no ethical consumption in Pokemon. There you go, Chris. Very niche. Uh, well, Chris, unless there's something else that you would like to add into that, do you think it is time for us to close out? The one and only Velvet's Corner. Yeah, I think it's about that time, brother. You feel comfortable. All right, Chris. Well, thank you for joining me in what has been another successful, sexy. Velvet's Corner. Mm. It's so tasty. Do you think that there's any ethical consumption under Velvet's Corner? (laughs) Definitely not. probably the most unethical thing i've ever done absolutely <laughs> all right guys this has been triangle square to playstation podcast again remind you if you're listening on a podcast service that allows you to rate and or review please consider doing so uh we try and check them as often as we can uh recently we've been getting some from spotify which is interesting i didn't know spotify started allowing you to do a q a for episodes uh, and we've gotten some shout outs over there of people enjoying the show so we appreciate it uh Reminder that if you want to support the show with more than just your time, which we are always very thankful for, you can head over to patreon.com slash nartech and consider giving as little as a dollar per month. It is a huge help to the show, helps keep it going without us always having to dig in our own pockets. And we are very thankful that we have so many of you who do so. As a thank you to our patrons, one thing that we always do is at the end of the episode, for as long as we have a reasonable number, we shout out all of our patrons to thank them for essentially producing the show alongside us for (laughs) what it's worth. So with that in mind, Chris, I will see you next week, buddy. Have a good fourth. Enjoy your festivities. Uh, Shoot the fireworks at night. Why are you shooting? Just tell your parents. Shoot your fireworks at night. That's how it works. If you're shooting Mm -hmm. fireworks in the day, then you're really just, you're wasting your freedom, which I guess it's yours to waste. (laughs) But I shoot my son. Uh, <laughs> I shoot my son. That's a terrible. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was gonna say sunglasses, and I'm like, that's not the that's not the joke. That's I was not what trying we're talking make. about. I shoot yeah. my fireworks at night. So I'm pretty sure I'm gonna have to go and clip out Chris saying, "I shoot my son." <laughs> that's gonna be the uh, Chris. Cold if you open ever have a kid. On. 
if you ever have a kid, I'm just gonna take that clip. Be like, be weary. Be weary of your father. Send it with in his email with no context. Yeah, like a weird email name, XY something. You're like, what the hell is happening here? Yeah. You from the future. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh God. That's all right, guys. Thank y'all for joining us. This has been another episode of Triangle Squared. Thank you for joining us for episode 312. Without further ado, shout out to our patrons, Spencer, Brandon Edwards, Alex, Barry Rogers, It's a Sin to Win, Sean Easton, Aztec King, Leechion69, The Lord Corgi, Hammond Egger, Bailey Robertson, Mark Schutz, Cypher Primus, Kyle Grimm, Rude Days 93, Kevin Baconvitz, Danny Villalobos, Jehudi MD, No Fate, Josh Ayers, Derek Porter, Donovan Williams, Matthew Green, and Sean Santarude. Thanks to each and every one of you. We'll see you next week.